everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with the Double L team, Lyle and Lawson. There he is. (laughs) Ah, Lawson, tell us something that you are thankful for this Mm. morning. Oh, actually, this is interesting. So I got a call yesterday from your son. Which one? Harley Southwell. The older one. Yeah. And he called me and he was like, Lawson, what's up? Long time no speak. And I was like, yeah, cool. And we talked for a bit and he was like, do you want to come to my wedding? And I was like, yeah. And so now I'm coming to his wedding. (laughs) Nice. So I'll see you there. (laughs) We get to work with Lawson and we get to go to wedding with Lawson. Yeah. Dude, what a privilege you have. (laughs) How blessed are you by my presence? Uh, yeah, no, that's epic. So. You, are so, you are you are so thankful that we got to see you today, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm thankful for every day. I would say it every day, but you know, I just want to, I just want to, you know, change it up. Yeah. Anyways, La, what are you thankful for this morning? Oh, I'm just thankful my son's getting married. That's so epic, eh? You know, and that he's sending out wedding invitations. That's uh, pretty amazing. Well, like. It's pretty last minute, like as in, I'm, I'm kind of slipping in last minute, but because <laughs> it's like in three weeks. But anyways, yeah, good times. Yeah, Dude, fantastic I'm, stuff. I'm keen. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna, we might have to uh, find a a whole radio team for one of yeah. those days, unless you've got some pretty fast flights in and out of Queensland. I don't, I don't know if I'm flying, dude. I'm probably driving, honestly. Uh, flying is expensive, like as in, it's three weeks out. I don't know. We'll see how we'll Maybe. see how it goes. We'll we will we will see what happens. We will see what happens. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we probably should spend a little bit of time talking about the weather. I'm just going to say, looking outside, it looks crystal clear. Looks awesome. Beautiful sky. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so while Lawson gets his life back in order, I probably should mention some of the other... Well, I might just tell a couple of stories real quick. Why not? Let me see. Where are we? Uh, Cyclone Yass. So not like not Cyclone Yasser or whatever we had here in Australia some years ago has hit India, resulting in literally thousands of homes being destroyed. And, of course, one of the challenges in developing countries like this is when they get hit by a cyclone that they're... Their buildings and their houses are just not up to, you know, code, cyclone code, and so they just get flattened, and it has resulted in one million refugees. Okay, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, DRC and Rwanda, have uh, just been hit by a very large earthquake. This is a follow-on from a massive volcanic eruption that has wiped out 17 towns uh, in the local area, and... Uh, a follow-on also from 119 different tremors. So imagine living in an area where you had 119 tremors. Oh, this was in just one day. And, of course, uh, this has a lot of people afraid that there may be another eruption on the way. Um, and they've had, of course, hundreds of homes that have been destroyed there as well. So, yeah, some pretty full-on signs of the times happening in different parts of the world right now. All right, Fantastic what, stuff. What, what were we up to? What were we, we were talking about serious news. Oh, yes, yeah, because positively different news was not here. Positively different <laughs> news was in the other was out with the uh, in the producer <laughs> studio and not here. So now that positively different news is back again, uh-huh. because I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether. I mean. What do you want to do? I'm, I'm just trying to 
trying to think who I blame here this morning. But anyway, it's my fault. No, that's right. It's I will I will take <laughs> the blame. I will t- please listeners forgive me. Forgive me. Oh, oh, so do you want some positively different yeah, news now? Oh dude, I okay, few things today. All right, so I want to also if you guys please let us know if you went outside last night and saw the blood red moon uh oh, when did we see it? i think i saw it around 10 past nine or so see i was asleep by 10 past nine that's why i didn't see it ah okay yes rookie rookie i was awake i was watching the moon uh dude it was epic uh right now all the kind of photos from around the world are coming through of people posting their blood red moons we're gonna put some of these up on uh the faith fm facebook page but yeah dude these are so epic high quality uh, shell was asking me oh lawson why didn't you take a photo i'm like bro i've got a samsung galaxy like what do you expect me to do with my phone um but dude these are amazing so really really cool stuff all right i have another Quick story here. Uh, the Galac- Gal- Galapagos. I always stuff this. The Galapagos word. Island. The Galapagos Island and the Galapagos uh, uh, National Park Directory. They uh, two years ago they found a turtle uh, that that were like this big old old tortoise, and they were like, "Oh, this is a really interesting looking tortoise. Where does this come from?" So this was news like two years ago. Now they've uh, conducted all kinds of genetic studies and whatnot, trying to find out, okay, who is this turtle? Where is it from? What is this turtle? Uh, and well, this tortoise. And you know, scientists at Yale University have come to the conclusion that this this is in fact fact a fernandian island turtle uh, sorry tortoise uh this is a female one that has been thought to be extinct for a century oh you're kidding me and this tortoise itself is like 112 years old so is this like the last this is the only one and so because of this They've been sending expedition after expedition out to these islands trying to find another one. And, you know, at first they were like, oh, you know. We well, these things live for, like, ever. Forever. Yes. Right. Well, this one's 112. Yeah. Uh-huh. But they're, like, trying to find another one. And at first they weren't really coming up with anything. But now they've recently started finding uh, droppings and track marks and everything. They haven't quite located one yet. But they're, they're okay, on wait, the wait, way. Wait, 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 wait. So they're trying to track one. And, I mean, these... The, the, what they've found droppings and tracks, and the turtle is just too fast for them, and scampers, yeah. scampers away every time they get close. Well, it's not that it scampers away; it's just this old male turtle that's just. How do they know it's male? Well, they're hoping that they're it's hoping. male because they've got a female, and they really like. I, I was reading through here; they've they've found a number of you know turtle species or tortoise species before where they've been on the brink of extinction. One, maybe two. As soon as they've got one breeding pair. They've been able to stabilize their numbers and bring them back, essentially. Uh, particularly because tortoises live so long as well. Like, yes. And they breed for so long, they're able to kind of do that. Whereas, yeah, at the moment, they're, they're thinking they can find one, but they're just... You know, the Galapagos Islands, they're, like, pretty legit. Like, it's not just, like, a really, 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 really tiny area. They're really uh, trying to get around, and it's only a small expedition team who's going out. So, yeah, they're trying their best to, their best to get this... I wonder whether they can clone the female... Oh, like they clone that sheep. I wonder whether that's possible. Well, if you But had then you've still only got a female. Two, two females. It's not going to solve your problem, is it? No, it's not. Uh, uh, that's that's the problem. They've been extinct for over uh, 112 years. I'm like, can they artificially inseminate 
you know, the female, but it's impossible because they wouldn't have the genetic material to be able to do that. So interesting stuff coming out of the Galapagos Islands. All right, I have one last story to share, and this was so... This is, like, heartbreaking yet amazing. I read this this morning, the story of Reef Carneson. He's a 12-year-old boy who... Uh, in 2015, was diagnosed with advanced cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, which is a, it's essentially skin cancer that doesn't come from, you know, getting out in the sun, even though it acts in very much the same way. It's, it's a skin cancer that spreads all around. Um, but instead of, you know, getting it from just sun exposure, it develops somehow naturally. And uh, essentially, he'd been going through, you know, using chemo creams to get rid of this uh, because, you know, you can do that with a skin cancer. And they believed, you know, by 2019 that it was mostly cured. But unfortunately, at the end of 2020, he went in for some scans and they saw that it had now spread to his bones and then further his skull and then further his brain. And it was just just terrible news for the family. And they're essentially in the process of saying their last goodbyes to Reef when the doctors made the decision to give Reef another chance at life with a new treatment. So uh, they came through and they are doing this new treatment. It's called uh, semi semi pulmab treatment. It's essentially you inject this program uh, receptor that is, it's a blocking antibody that teaches the patient's body's immune system to recognize the cancer cells as not uh, part of them or harmful. So essentially this is uh, this very intense uh, groundbreaking treatment that this kid is undergoing, which is amazing because, you know, he's on the brink of death. So uh, we should be praying for this kid, Reef Carneson, that he can, uh, we'll see what happens here. And, and if this works, this will be a breakthrough for the whole uh, yeah, medical community. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, moving on to uh, other more serious news. We had a bit of extra time for more serious news this morning. Let's um, go. Pope Francis has just received, uh, just released a seven-year action plan on the environment. This is called Laudato Si, and if you think you've heard that before, that's because Laudato Si was an encyclical letter that he released in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, last year he had a one-year anniversary celebration of Laudato Si, and so it does illustrate just how concerned Pope Francis is about the environment. Mm. Okay, so what has just been released this time around under the title of Laudato Si is a seven-year action plan. So you had the encyclical, now you have the the action plan itself, and of course it focuses on pollution and climate change and how to address these particular issues. Uh, it looks at uh, human beings as being stewards of the world. Interesting language that is used within the uh, the letter itself, uh, when you actually read through it, is, you know, it speaks about this sister earth now cries to us because of the harm we have inflicted. This is a quote on her by our irresponsible use and abuse of the goods which God has endowed her. This is this is from his uh, launch of this letter. We have come to see ourselves as lords and martyrs, masters entitled to plunder her at will. <laughs> the violence present in our hearts, wounded by sin, is also reflected in, in the symptoms of sickness evident in the soil, in the water, in the air, and in all forms of life. Now, I think it's always a positive thing to do positive things for our environment. Mm. In fact, the Bible teaches that it's always a positive thing to do positive things for our environment, and the Bible teaches that... We should be out there, you know, 
as stewards and managers, not lords and masters of our environment. Mm. So there is a lot to agree with with Pope Francis on this letter. What I do find fascinating, though, is the language, because a little bit further on, you know, calls speaks of the earth as the feminine, speaks of the earth as our sister. Uh, finally states, there is hope. We can all collaborate, each with each one with their own culture and experience, each with their own initiatives and capacities, so that our mother recovers its original beauty and creation can shine again according to God's plan. Mm. So that's that's fascinating language because this is the language of paganism. Yes. You know, the, the Mother Earth Goddess. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who studied either ancient or neo-paganism... Mm. Very, you know, the moment you read that, it's like, okay, this is uh, this is the this is the language of paganism. Is there something new age that is going on here, and is there starting to be a blend between Christianity and spiritualism? Yeah, and so I thought I'd have a bit mm. of a quick look at spiritualism and see where you know modern spiritualism was up to. Uh, of course, in the United States, you have the best research. There's been this is actually a very little researched group, uh, but amongst pagans. And, of course, but in the United States you have about a million pagans and they recently released a study and it's actually the first time they've done a study looking at uh, political affiliations of the neo-pagans. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what they're actually into. Okay, so you've got, if you go back to 2017, you find that there was a combined effort uh, across uh, all of the witches in the United States banded together to cast a spell to bind Donald Trump. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, I think that failed that. Yeah. rather spectacularly. Well, well, he, he didn't get re-elected. This is true. <laughs> this is true. But typically, we expect pagans to, you know, turn up in climate marches uh, to support same-sex marriage and, you know, those kinds of uh, protests and so forth. Mm. Recently, they have been involved in the BLM riots mm. uh, taking place in the United States. And the question is: Is this the norm? And research has realized, has recognized that pagans actually don't generally uh, just lean Democrat. Yeah, wow. Interesting. Which is most interesting. Uh, they're actually much more likely politically to be independent. Okay. With the biggest, with the biggest party that has benefited from uh, pagans being the Libertarian Party. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, pagans have often said, you know, you can go to any Libertarian Party get-together. There's always going to be other pagans that are there. Mm. And the Libertarian Party does very much stress the concept of small government, mm. uh, much more so even than the Republican Party. And so you've got this Republican right-wing concept of small government, which is championed by the Libertarian Party. Uh, they pick up around about 3% of the vote thereabouts mm. uh, when there is a presidential election. Uh, nothing huge, but that's tend to be where the uh, the pagans gravitate, which is kind of similar to their basic philosophy, which is do harm to no other and then do what you will. So as so long as you're not harming anyone else, do anything you want. Mm. That's the basic pagan philosophy, which is not that different from a libertarian philosophy of small government. In other words, when we talk about small government, it's the concept of government butting out of people's lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's not going to hurt somebody else, then let people do anything they want. Mm. Um, of course, um, yeah, you kind of have the opposite of that when you have you know, big government, 
you, you Democrat-type government, which is going to not just legislate every small thing that you do, but every small thing that you say, mm. and ultimately try and legislate every small thing that you think. Mm. <clears throat> okay, this concept of do no harm to any uh, to to anyone else, and then do what you want, is pretty much a. You couldn't get a more perfect reflection reflection of Satan's first lie when he says, "Thou shalt not surely die," mm. because basically what it is saying is this: there are no consequences for what you do from a moral perspective. Yeah, wow. Well. There is no consequences to sin, so mm. do anything you feel like, because there's no consequences for sin. Mm. And yeah, wow, Oof. isn't that epically wrong? Yeah. Um, on issues like sex and the environment, they are universally left, but not on gender, which is interesting. So when it comes to gender issues and trans issues, those kinds of issues, gender ideology, uh, pagan people tend to be uh, quite against that kind of ideology. The reason being, because you're looking at me with a puzzled look on your face, yeah. is that paganism is driven and, you know, it's like 80% of them are women and feminists and they are standing up against the invasion of womanhood by men through the trans community. Mm. That's so interesting because I, 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 you know, I have interesting friends. I have a friend who is a pagan. Yes. And who is trans. Yes. And so, like... Oh, and this is not saying that this is universal. Mm, well... Th- by any stretch they're, of the imagination. They're not trans. They're, like, non-binary. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, but part of that community. And they're very very much pagan, like, very, you know, pro-pagan, like, libertarian. And it's interesting that... Oh, that's... that's Generally speaking, and this is just sort of research, because there's a tremendous amount of variety, because you don't have any overarching organisation for paganism. Mm, mm. And with a libertarian kind of... Uh, philosophy that you have, you're never going to have that overarching organisation. Yeah, yeah, wow. And so, but generally speaking, uh, that's where they stand. Um, and this is because of their, their uh, strong feminist base with uh, women-dominated, um, goddess-centred kind of concepts. Of course, uh, paganism focuses on spiritual relationship with the earth. Um, it is interestingly also almost exclusively white. Ooh, that actually kind of makes sense. Yeah, why does that make sense to you? Because that one caught me by surprise. Um, okay, this is this is this might be this might be a stereotype, but I I find that yeah, white women are particularly edgy, which I feel like fuels a lot of people who believe in paganism and the fact that it's kind it's of edgy, edgy and alternative. Yeah, it's just not being picked up by uh, by immigrants. Mm. Um, but they do support equality of opportunity for women rather than um, equality of outcome, mm-hmm. which means that they have ended up with a male-dominated leadership. Wait, that but they have leadership. They have leadership at small local levels. Oh, yeah, that is. This is the weirdest because it, thing. Because it's, it's 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 free. You know, it's a very free society, and mm. in a very free society, freedom-loving people don't have. Quotas. Yeah, yeah, hundred mm. percent. And wow. so that has that's what it's resulted in. So interesting stuff that is going on in our world today. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. 
on the phone this morning is uh, Dr. John Ashton, author of many books, but one in particular that we've been talking about, Evolution Impossible. John, welcome to the show. Hello. John, we've come to Chapter 13 of, uh, of your book here, Evolution Impossible, which is uh, titled Evidence for the Existence of an Intervening God. And the question that goes through my mind, you know, why is this material in the book about scientific evidence against evolution? Why do we have this particular chapter in this particular book? I think uh, one of the motivations for putting that in there was that there's a very uh, strong effort today to keep God out of the classroom. And the other thing is that... um, Science wants to explain everything in terms of, uh, you know, just natural processes. There's no no room for God, and I think this creates the impression that God, that you know, science has proved that God does not exist. Whereas, in actual fact, of, of course, many scientists recognise that, um, you know, there there must be a God. The DNA codes are so complex that they could not arise by chance. Uh, the famous astronomer Fred Hoyle, Sir Fred Hoyle, pointed out that you know the uh, values of the uh, physical constants and the way the universe is set up. Uh, it's almost as if uh, an intelligence has set it up and fine-tuned it exactly. So, I wanted to provide other evidence, real evidence, for uh, people reading the book that we worship a God that's just not out there and set the original universe up, but a God who is a personal God and is mm. interested in us as humans today and can be our friend. That's why I want to include the evidence that we have that God is a personal intervening God. If we look at the size of the universe and you know what, say, for instance, uh, Sir Fred Hoyle was talking about there, how he looks out at the universe he sees, you know, evidence for an intervening God in the universe. Isn't our planet really just a speck of dust? And if so, why would somebody who is big enough and powerful enough to create the universe be interested in one speck of dust? Well, well, I guess you need to ask God that question. (laughs) (laughs) But I think um, one of the interesting things that has come out of, um, you know, astronomy is that the Earth is certainly in a very interesting position in the universe and that we appear to be in the centre of the universe. My own personal view is that we were created especially in the image of God and the universe was created as the environment for us to experience and explore. It was part of our ecology, part of our environment. But again, I think there's a huge need today as we see so many young people turning to excessive uh, drinking and drugs. There's an emptiness in their lives and people need something um, and they need the reassurance that there is a God that they can pray to and, and can answer prayers. Mm. Um, and that and that was the whole purpose of of this chapter to point out that not only do we have overwhelming evidence that evolution is absolutely impossible, we were created. We we are here as a result of supernatural intervention in in nature, special creation, and that this God that created us is a God who loves us, that we can talk to, that we can 
receive peace and joy from. And I think that is so important. And I wanted to give clear-cut examples of this as evidence, that there is evidence for an intervening God. You know, the Christianity is a, is a historical uh, sort of faith based on evidence. A lot of people think that Christianity isn't based on evidence. You know, it's just a religion. You know, there's myths and people, you know, it's this feel-good thing that people want to believe in something. But what I think many people don't realise is that our faith is based on evidence. It's based on the evidence recorded in the Bible as, as uh, godly men wrote down their experiences with this intervening God. And then since the time of Christ, we have had you know thousands of Christians write down in various books and, and give their sermons of their personal experience of God. And this is all evidence, evidence of an in- intervening God. Um, that, you know, answers prayer. And that's why in the book, I wanted to, while the book is mainly to deal with evolution, obviously, um, I wanted to include some clear examples, both from history and both from personal experiences and both where I did research and interviewed people uh, in the research laboratories where I worked about their experiences of uh, personal answers to prayer and so forth. Uh, and that's what I want to do, provide that evidence so that we have evidence. We have evidence for why, why we believe. So what are some of the examples that you um, cite in this chapter for people having a personal experience with God? Well, uh, for example, um, you know, one of the uh, local uh, medical practitioners, when she was uh, travelling to uh, work, working up at uh, Wingham, and she lived down near Taree. Uh, she was driving along a windy road when suddenly she heard an audible voice, as if someone was sitting in the back of the car saying, slow down. And uh, she said she was brought up with manners, and, and her reply, she didn't feel afraid, but her reaction was, I beg your pardon? And the voice repeated and said, slow down. And she was just overwhelmed. What is what is happening? And she just pulled off the, the road and slowed down. Just at that moment, a yellow Ford Mustang came round the corner on the wrong side of the road at very high speed. And mm. she said, you know, she had it kept on going. She most certainly would have been very seriously injured, if not killed. Um, and so this is, you know, quite a quite a spectacular example. What does what does science say about these kinds of experiences? Do they do, do, do scientists who are ruling you know the supernatural out of the equation? Are they just saying that this is uh, some kind of you know psychotic episode? What, what does what does science say about this kind of thing? Well, I think if you obviously the local doctor's experience has been examined by scientists. If we take, for example, Joan of Arc who also heard voices um, and was appointed. When you when you think of the fact that here we had a 17, 16, 17-year-old girl appointed to the head of the French army at a time when, you know, women were considered as, you know, the property of men sort of thing in this sort of culture. Um, how could that happen? The reason was that, that she was a very pious girl, and God revealed to her the prayers of the um, of the king of uh, or the Dauphin. He hadn't been the crown king of uh, France, and she was able to get an audience with him and told him what he, he had prayed to God. And when 
he recognised that. That was why she was put in charge. And, of course, God um, gave her direction, spoke to her. She heard audible voices, and she was able to lead the army to victory at that particular time and free the oppression from the uh, from the English. We have another example in more recent times in Ellen White's time. There was Ellen White, the visions and so forth she received and, and so forth. But there's also Harriet Tubman that escaped slaves, who again was very devoted to God. He was an illiterate woman. Joan of Arc was illiterate as well, um, who God spoke to. And this woman, following the directions that God gave her, audible directions as he spoke to her, was able to lead the slaves to safety even though there were people looking for her everywhere and trying to, to stop her. And she led hundreds of slaves to uh, to, to safety. Um, matter of fact, I understand she even stayed in Ellen White's house at, at one stage. And so we have these, you know, classic um, examples there. We have examples of premonitions where people have had of, of warning them against, um, you know, danger and, and so forth. Um, my friend, uh, many people would know Joy Butler, had a friend while she was staying in um, Zimbabwe who um, uh, her, her friend had uh, arrived uh, home after doing the shopping or whatever and uh, parked her car just in the driveway, left it running while she opened the gate uh, to her property, but there was a man hiding uh, behind the fence and he, as she opened the gate, he jumped out and jumped into the open door of the car and drove off. The problem was that the lady's little girl was in the back seat of the car. And, of course, the mother was hysterical uh, as the car drove off. And um, in those days, there was a lot of carjackings and the cars were taken and driven across the border where they were sold in the neighbouring country. And um, so she was just screaming on the side of the road, you know, distraught, not knowing what to do as the car drove off. And the man stop, you know, what's the problem, lady? And um, said, you know, someone's just driven off my car. My daughter's in it. And this man gave chase. And then another man, the lady was still screaming on the side of the road, and another man stopped. And um, he um, and said, what's wrong? He said, this man, my daughter's been kidnapped. And he said, look, I'm a pastor. Let's, we'll pray. And they prayed, God, please stop the car. And the... Um, and the man said, well, look, let's, let's go over, let's give chase, I'll probably go down this main highway. And the lady was a bit reluctant to hop in, but then she saw a Bible on the front seat and the man said, yes, I'm a pastor. So she went with the man, they drove along the road, and there they came to the car and it was stopped in the middle of the road. And the little girl was in the car. And uh, when they talked to the little girl, they said, you know, what happened? She said, well, I was driving a lot. Once we were driving, I was pleading with the man to take me back to mummy. And I saw what appeared to be an angel come and stand on the bonnet of the cars that was driving along and, and push what was like a shiny sword in through the engine and the car stopped. And of course there was no hole in the bonnet and everything, but they found a clutch had failed as the car was driving along. They didn't know, um, uh, you know, there wasn't any mechanical problems. And it's interesting, why would a little, you know, seven year old girl make up something that, why wouldn't she just say, well, the car broke down, you know, and that, Ran off sort of thing. And what's interesting um, with, um, you know, just thinking about it, 
and the petrol heads out there will relate to this. You know, when a clutch fails, it usually gives a lot of warning before it does. It doesn't usually just... Exactly, yeah, and, and not usually just, you know, the car stop as you're driving from. Instantaneously. Like, yeah. I've never heard of a clutch failing like that, but... Um... Yeah. So this is... Um, and I, I think, you know, we had just uh, a few weeks ago a broadcast on the national news uh, at the evacuation of Malakuta there in Victoria, there was this massive fireball approaching uh, a group of people that were sort of fleeing from their homes to the jetty there. Um, and this man who was a Christian, David Jeffries was his name. Uh, he was a Christian. He called out to God, yelled out, and all the people around there, you know, God, if you're there in Jesus' name, please stop these flames, push them away something like that, and instantly a wind came in, a really strong wind came in from the east and blew the fire front back, and in the interview, it was on television, another 30 seconds they would have been consumed by this huge ball of fire that I think when I read the newspaper report later was estimated to be something like uh, 60 feet high and and travelling, you know, uh, 90 90 kilometres an hour or something. So, and that was in front of people, and that got, you know, the media. So, uh, and those people's lives were were saved. I read in one report, for example, that the guy said that they saw the embers raining down, they landed on the grass, but they didn't even set fire to the grass then around them. He said it was almost like a Daniel and his three friends experience. So, I think, you know, in the book, we want, I wanted to point out that there... When we consider the hundreds of thousands of examples, probably millions of examples of answers to prayer that have been recorded over time, we have this overwhelming evidence that God is real. We have uh, an intervening God. You know, I think the evacuation from Dunkirk, I I haven't seen the, the movie, but I remember reading about it there, how the cloud came in. People were praying as they were trying to get the troops off that beach. You know, 300,000 men were about to be killed um, and the clouds came in that stopped the German Air Force from being able to strafe them as they were on, exposed on the beach there. Um, and yet it was very unseasonal for that cloud and fog to come in at that particular time. There's another classic example given at um, a river in South Africa where the Vortrekkers were surrounded by a massive Zulu force and they made a covenant with God that there were something like 700 Vortrekker families in wagons, uh, farmers with their wives and children, surrounded by a force of three or 4,000 Zulu warriors and they prayed to God they made a covenant that if God saved them, they would, you know, always remember this and teach their children. And um, that particular night, this mist, unseasonable mist, came down around and covered the whole camp. And the Zulu warriors kept back as the people had lit uh, lanterns and saw the shadows that spooked the Zulu warriors. And, and they left. There was very little loss of life. And there's a bronze memorial there. So we have these you know, records that have been preserved of, of God intervening in the lives of those faithful people that uh, turn to him.
Yeah, and John, I, we do need to finish up, but um, I just want to add to that that you know when you get a group of Christians who sit around and start sharing these kind of stories, it it almost feels like everyone has a story to share from mm. somewhere, and when you start to add that up, that is an enormous weight of evidence. But uh, John, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Doctor Doctor John Ashton, author of many books, but uh, including Evolution Impossible. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.